Welcome to the FinTech Today podcast with your host, Carlos Cabrera, where everything is unfolded from FinTech news, personalities, and stories just for you. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Carlos Cabrera, your host for FinTech Today. Uh, Today's episode has a very well-known personality in Latin America and specifically in Venezuela. His name is uh, Pedro Palma. He is an emeritus professor from the ESI Institute of Superior Studies in Administration in Venezuela, very well-known institute. He's also the director of Equanalitica. Uh, he's been at that position for 11 years. He was also the former president of the a, and partner of the National Academy of Economic Sciences and also the founding partner of Metro Economica for 33 years, which merged with Equanalytica, which is a uh, magazine, a, a, an institute that uh, does uh, economic analysis in Venezuela. Uh, he holds a PhD in philosophy and economics from the well-known University of Pennsylvania, master in economics as well from the same university and also an MBA from the Wharton School of the University of uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, welcome, uh, Dr. Palma. It's a pleasure. I, um, I'm reading your book right now, and it's, it's excellent. This, uh, the title is Foreign Exchange Policy in Venezuela, More Than 100 Years of History. It is excellent. It's uh, the cover, guys, so you can, I hope that you can see it. It is absolutely great the way it's done and welcome it's a pleasure and an honor to have you here with us today it's a pleasure for me to be with you what do you think dr palma that line american in particular venezuela and some other countries like argentina have inflation that tend to be well above the average uh, the average in developed countries well, you know, uh, a few years ago, uh, we thought that the hyperinflation was uh, a, a historical phenomenon, that it was uh, totally overcome, basically because uh, uh, it was uh, proved that uh, hyperinflation had a solution in countries like Brazil, Peru, and several other Latin American countries, and that uh, made us to believe that hyperinflation was history. Mm -hmm. uh, that is not the case. Uh, now uh, there is uh, one, one country in America, Venezuela, which is suffering hyperinflation uh, since uh, the end of uh, 2017. And there are some other uh, countries that, uh, that it is true, it, if it is true that they are not suffering hyperinflation, they are suffering much higher inflation than before. So in, the inflationary problem is becoming, again, uh, a serious problem in Latin America. Why hyperinflation developed in Venezuela? Well, uh, that, that was uh, you know, a conjunction of several factors. Uh, the most important one was uh, a very uh, intense increase in money supply, basically because the government uh, was spending much more than they received in taxes. Uh, and that deficit uh, had been covered or financed by the central bank, which is creating 
lots of uh, money, of high power money uh, or basic money that is making um, a money supply in the hands of the public to grow uh, substantially, uh, very fast and in, in very intensively. That is stimulating demand, of course. Uh, but at the same time, when Venezuelans go to markets to buy goods and services with that, with those bolivars, uh, they, they don't find anything to buy because supply is uh, quite restrictive in Venezuela. Uh, basically, the, the productive sector, the private productive sector has been destroyed by the actual government for the last two decades. Uh, the uh, the, the, the private companies or the private enterprises, the private firms were subject to, uh, you know, very tough uh, harassment from coming from the government, uh, expropriations, expro uh, you know, threats of, uh, of interventions, of closing, imposition of severe uh, price controls that condemn them to war at loss, and so on, made them uh, you know, just to disappear. The, uh, the, the number of uh, out-of-business uh, firms in Venezuela are uh, astonishingly high, and at the same time, investment has almost disappeared, private investment. Several of those companies, when they pass to, the, uh, to be uh, expropriated and passed to, to the hands of the, of the state, of the government, uh, they stop producing or they reduce their production dramatically. And that means that the, the productive sector of the, the internal productive sector, both private and public, must disappear in Venezuela, making this economy to depend more and more on imports in order to supply uh, the, 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 the good and services required by the economy. The problem is that for you to import, you need dollars. And those dollars come basically from oil exports. And oil exports almost disappear also in Venezuela because, again, you know, the very bad policies uh, of, the, of, the, of the government, of Chavez government and, and Maduro's government, almost destroyed PDVSA. Uh, they, uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, PDVSA was condemned to, to finance all the social programs, uh, to pay the, the debt with China, uh, to... Uh, uh, to transfer uh, to a fund uh, administered by the president of the republic uh, about 60 billion, more than that, 70 billion dollars in, in about 10 years. And, and in addition to that, uh, in 2003, Chavez fired about 18,000 uh, technical and, 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 manage, and, and management uh, personnel of PDVSA uh, making you know that that company almost impossible to survive. Now we are producing just a fraction of what we produced before, and of course we are exporting almost nothing or a very low amount of, of barrels, making uh, you know basically the the, uh, the revenues of dollars to be dramatically low. Well, you know. If, if you destroy the, 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 the internal production system, if uh, you suffer an 80% contraction, 80% accumulated contraction uh, of GDP in about seven years, from 2014 to, to 2021, uh, well, you can imagine that, uh, of course, the, the supply of goods and services are almost non-existent, 
or very, very limited. And in addition to that, the massive creation of polymers through the public expenditure financing, uh, public financing uh, of the deficit of the public sector by the central bank. Well, you know, that, that created uh, pressure on prices that uh, made the, the, uh, the hyperinflation to materialize in Venezuela since the end of uh, 2017. If it is true that uh, hyperinflation now is much lower or has been mitigated in the recent month because of some actions of, uh, of prudency in, uh, in, the, uh, in the public finance, in the public deficit financing, uh, the fact is that still, you know, we have an inflation, a yearly inflation of about 1900%, which is, you know, totally out of, 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 any, of any level, acceptable level. And uh, that is also making, you know, the, the people to continue uh, reducing their purchasing power, uh, poverty to be extremely high in the country, according to a last uh, poll made by uh, one of the serious universities here in Venezuela, uh, place uh, uh, poverty uh, in about uh, 95 to 96% of all populations are poor, and about 76% of those uh, of that of those Venezuelans are extremely poor. So you know the the the, the result of that uh, very poor policies implemented during the last two decades, you know, are really impoverishing Venezuelans and are really disastrous or, or have created uh, a chaos in in this economy. Yeah, definitely, the results are, haven't been the uh... What was sold to to the population twenty years ago, and uh, given this result, how would you think that uh, Venezuela can be reorganized? A Venezuelan economy can recover from this uh, debacle. Well, you know, uh, the recovery is not easy at all, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, just to to put this economy uh, back into uh, in the right track uh, is will require you know, lots of things to be done, lots of sacrifices, lots of to be done in several, several fronts. Uh, one of, you know, we need uh, fiscal and monetary discipline. Uh, we need the government, uh, you know, to increase the revenues. We, uh, we need the government to rationalize expenditure, to increase uh, the rationality of expenditures and the, the productivity of expenditure. Uh, you have to give uh, the autonomy to the central bank back to the central bank. Uh, the central bank has to stop uh, financing uh, deficit spending. And, uh, and in addition to that, uh, you have to stimulate investment. You have to stimulate investment in order to diversify this economy. If uh, one of the main reasons uh, of the main problems we have is this destruction of the productive sector? Well, you have to rebuild, to reconstruct the, the productive sector, not only the private one, but also the, the public one. Uh, and in order to do that, you have to stimulate investment. And uh, the, the, the investment is stimulated by creating the proper environments for investors to come down to Venezuela and to invest in Venezuela. Uh, that means, you know, uh, uh, rule of law, 
That means, uh, you know, separation of uh, public powers. That means uh, clear rules of the game. Uh, that means, uh, you know, uh, elimination of uh, price controls and other type of, of, uh, of absurd controls. Uh, that uh, means uh, the disposition or the availability of uh, proper and efficient public services. And for that, the government has to concentrate their their efforts and, and their expenditures in, in developing these public services and so on, uh, good electricity, good water, good infrastructure, good transportation infrastructure, good access to the, to the web and so on. Uh, all that, you know, you, that, that means that, you know, the tasks that has to be tackled in the future in order to put this economy in the, in the right track are enormous. And in addition to that, we need, you know, lots of financing for, 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 for these plans to be implemented. And, and the big question is, who is going to finance that? Uh, the, the private banks are not willing uh, to, 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 to a, a country which is in such a disarray or that has uh, been destroyed in, 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 in such a huge amount. So at the beginning, at least, those resources, those huge resources, have to come from multilateral organizations like IMF, the World Bank, uh, from governments that give, uh, you know, big uh, uh, loans uh, coming from, from government of some other European country, European uh, uh, European uh, economies, and so on. Uh, in addition to that, we uh, we have to put into effect. Uh, Social social programs because the uh, the poor police during that restructuring process and you have to give them you know or to supply them very you know efficient social programs that allow them to to move uh, uh, or to to survive uh, during all these these factors. So right. you know the tasks uh, are multiple. And uh, and really uh, tough and uh, and difficult to implement. And uh, the current dollarization of the Venezuelan economy in some sectors, uh, as you pointed out uh, before in our informal uh, chat, uh, what uh, what are the consequences of this to the Venezuelan economy right now? What are the consequences of what? The 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 current dollarization, the informal dollarization of, of, of the economy that's going on right now. What, what do you think are, the, what would, what are the consequences? Will it create a, say a country and economy such as uh, Panama? Or do you think that they, what's your, what's your vision of it? Of the dollarization process that you are going through, you mean? Yes, like an informal one from my, yeah. my vantage point. Well, you know, what we have lived in Venezuela recently is a process of uh, what we call uh, transactional dollarization. That means that uh, retail transactions in the different uh, cities of the country now uh, uh, are done, about two-thirds of those uh, retail transactions are done in dollars. And in some cities uh, near the, the borders of Colombia and so on, that percentage is about 90%. Uh, that means that the use of the dollar in, in the realization of those transactions 
uh, are, are quite high. Uh, that is helping uh, a lot. That is making you know the uh, the remunerations of, of not only of uh, of uh, informal in, in, informal uh, jobs, but also the remunerations in, in informal activities like uh, plumbing or whatever any you know small services uh, uh, have been done in dollars. In addition to that, uh, lots of uh, Poor people, poor families are receiving dollars from abroad, uh, basically coming from uh, from uh, transfers from uh, or uh, remittances from uh, their parents abroad, uh, and that has that is helping them a lot because uh, now they are receiving dollars that can be used to buy to buy things. Uh, in addition to that, Venezuelans for the last uh, four or five decades, you know, have uh, sent resources abroad uh, by very important amounts. Uh, you know, according to some estimation, probably Venezuelans have about 300, 300, uh, $300 billion abroad. Uh, and uh, therefore they can, they, they, they are bringing in some, some dollars to survive or to live mm. in Venezuela. So that there are some uh, sources of dollars that can be used to to buy things. In addition to that, the big question is, uh, well, uh, what are other, uh, let's say, sources of those dollars? Well, you know, uh, narco-traffic, uh, uh, illegal uh, or black uh, activities or illegal activities, informal activities are producing lots of dollars. Mm. And this dollarization process, you know, is, is paradise for those illegal uh, for, for that people, uh, that, those people that make these illegal operations uh, to, to, to laundry to those monies because they, they can inject those, uh, those bills in the economy easily. And uh, of course, they, 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 are, they, they are part of those dollars that are circulating inside the economy. Oh, I see. Well, I'm happy that you clarified that for our listeners. Uh, that's that's a very important fact that uh, a lot of uh, people up here in North America they 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 uh, they wonder and I it's it's great that you get to explain it from a uh, a uh, your vantage point from your uh, your own um, you know your own person. Uh, do you think that they, the the creation of a new a new currency will change the economic outlook in the short term. Say in it that right now this new uh, digital Bolivar will will make things any different than in the previous times that we had. Uh, say the the uh, the Bolivar Fuerte and the other one and uh, and so on. No, I don't think uh, they they are going to have a you know a deep impact in the economy. They can uh, help in, uh, you know, simplifying the the, the accounting uh, accountability of uh, of firms. Uh, they can help uh, in uh, improving the fiscalization, the tax fiscalization of the government, and so on. But that that that's only marginal things. They are not going to to solve inflation. They are not going to help solving inflation or. Uh, taking the economy out of this uh, recessionary situation that they are living. 
not at all. Uh, you know, what we had was just simply a redefinition of, of the currency, uh, saying that one million, uh, what we call uh, sovereign volumes uh, that uh, were into effect on in circulation until the end of September, uh, becoming one new Bolivar or Bolivar Digital or Digital Bolivar that uh, the central bank is talking about. So one digital Bolivar is equivalent to one million old Bolivars that were in effect until the end of September. But that's all. Uh, no, nothing is going to change. The, the supply, the, the money supply is going to be the same. Uh, you know, you simply, you can, uh, let's say, uh, simplif sim simplify the accountability of things that you can probably make uh, transaction easier or you can, uh, let's say, increase the use of Bolivars in the transaction, the daily day, in the daily transaction. But that, that, that's, a, that's a marginal uh, effect. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that uh, it could be, uh, it could be, or it could materialize with this uh, new currency is what we call the, the rounding. Because, uh, for example, let's assume that one thing uh, had a, a price before of 5 million, uh, 600,000, so on, so on, so on. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, according to the new, uh, to the new uh, currency, that is equivalent to five bolivars with 60 cents. Uh, people is going to say, come on, five, six, 60, make it six. And uh, you know the rounding that to the to the higher figure, inflationary mm -hmm. effect without question. Uh, uh, let's say uh, one shot at the beginning of the new of the definition of currency, or it will have a, a price effect, a price increase effect. Mm -hmm. People to you know just to to to, to suffer without any question. And in addition to that, it's quite, quite probable that the company is going to increase or it's going to review minimum salaries and so on. Because minimum salary before was only 7, 7 million Bolivars of, of previous Bolivars. Well, there are, you know, only 7 new Bolivars. Uh, it's ridiculous to, to have a minimum salary of of seven volumes, you know? So it's quite probable that uh, what you are going to see is a revision. And, uh, and so our definition listeners, of, uh, Dr. Palma, sorry to interrupt, but so that our listeners can get an idea, seven sovereign bolivars will be the equivalent right now of how much? Two dollars, two dollars. Okay, $2. there you go. Okay. Or less, Perfect. yeah, about two dollars or, okay. or less than that, yeah. Okay. Perfect. So they, they now, Looking into the future, do you do you see when when um, when we see a country such as say Norway that have sovereign funds that have managed uh, their economies quite wisely, even though they don't have the enormous resources that the the Venezuelan uh, economy in terms of oil has, um, do you think that the creation say of, of a, a sovereign fund in the future will help? Well, uh, without any question, you know, for decades. For decades, uh, we, you know, uh, some politicians are advising the government uh, to implement uh, what we call uh, uh, macroeconomic um, 
stabilization funds. That is uh, just to say during the good oil years uh, or, or years of high oil prices, uh, the government should save part of the additional revenues to create this fund in order for, have, for having uh, you know, enough resources when oil prices drop. And uh, because you can, you know, you can bet that if today or tomorrow uh, you will have a, a price hike, an oil price hike, it will be followed by uh, a dramatic contraction of oil prices. That's what history teaches us. That's right. Uh, and what we advise the government is, listen, you have to save additional revenues during the good oil years in order to have enough resources in the bad years, avoiding recessionary uh, impacts, avoiding uh, massive devaluation of the currency because of uh, drop in, in, in dollar revenues and so on. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's a must. Nevertheless, that advice, which is a, a, a basic advice, is a, is a logical advice, uh, hasn't been uh, you know, followed by the government because every time the dollar prices goes up, politicians think that this time oil prices are going to, to be kept you know, high forever. And, uh, you know, no matter what, you know, you say, listen, that is all, oil prices are going to go down and so on. Never mind, you know, they, they, they are caught by surprise when, when they go down without any resources, condemning this economy to suffer a lot. And not only the economy, Venezuelans to suffer a lot. That's, that's, uh, that's very right. That's on target. Oil markets are so volatile that uh, there are so many factors. Nowadays, you even have, as you know, more players. You have even the United States is a major player in there, which wasn't the case before. So uh, definitely makes a lot of sense um, to uh, try to address that. And in I um, just going over your book, I, I observed many, uh, many, I saw many facts that um, caught my eye, especially when you talk about the impacts that some events in the 70s had that delayed sort of the crisis that we, you talk about so well in the 80s, especially, and, and so on. And you talk about the impacts of external events such as the, um, the um, Iran, um, the Iran uh, government being uh, thrown out. And also you talk about uh, other things that I'd like you to expand on uh, so that our listeners can learn more about those events, because I think that history looking forward will um, can teach us quite a bit. Yeah, well, you know, I explained in, in that book that uh, for decades, Venezuela uh, implemented a fixed exchange rate policy. Uh, you know, the exchange rate was, was fixed, didn't change uh, for years and years and decades and so on. And the main reason for that uh, was that there were, there were the, the, the conditions for this exchange rate policy to be uh, successful were present in this economy. Uh, inflation was very low, indeed, uh, during the 40s, 60s, 
50s, 60s, and early, uh, and early 70s, uh, Venezuelan inflation was below those inflations like, uh, like in Japan, in Germany, in several, uh, in UK and several other uh, countries. Uh, we had lower inflation than in those advanced or industrialized countries. That's one of the basic conditions in order to keep, you know, or to, or to make the, uh, a fixed exchange rate to, to, to work because that uh, low inflation uh, avoids the overvaluation of the currency, avoids the appreciation of the currency in real terms, and uh, avoids the overvaluation of the currency in real terms, which is critical in order to keep or to sustain or to keep the, com the, the competitiveness of the internal uh, productive sector uh, or the tradable productive sector abroad, uh, uh, making you know, export uh, uh, possible, uh, making imports to be, uh, to be uh, expensive and so on. Well, you know, those things uh, started changing at the middle of 1970s when, when the first oil crisis developed in 1974, 76, 77. Uh, because the government received additional revenues, they started implementing a very expansionist fiscal policy through which all those additional revenues or those additional resources coming from oil exports were injected into the economy that made uh, you know, uh, money supply to, to start increasing, pushing prices up, and uh, that made inflation to, to start picking up, uh, you know, passing from 1.5, 2%, per year in the past to 7, 8% in the first years of, uh, of uh, the second half of the 70s. Then it went up to 16%, then it went up to 30%, making local inflation to be much higher than external inflation. At the beginning, the government, during the second half of the 70s and uh, the first uh, years of the 1980s, uh, you know, tried to, to keep the fixed exchange rate or the exchange rate fixed without any change in spite of this differential of inflation. That, that caused or that made the, the currency to be overvalued, uh, to, be, uh, to appreciate and to become overvalued and, uh, you know, that at the, in 1982, 19, beginning of 1983, people became convinced that that was unsustainable, that a maxi devaluation was coming, was inevitable. And, uh, and when, when, when those expectations, depreciation expectations or exchange expectations, you know, generalized, what everybody does is, is just hedge. Hedging, you know, buy dollars, sell all the, 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 the liquid assets you have in order to have local currency to be used to buy dollars and to send those dollars abroad before the currency is devalued. And that's exactly what happened uh, at, the, at the end of 1970 and of 1982 and uh, the beginning of 1983 until February 18th, in which you know, that was the last day of, uh, of a free convertibility with the fixed exchange rate and uh, a massive devaluation took place afterwards. That was the beginning of a, of a flexible exchange rate policy uh, in which 
mainly if, if you have inflation, if you have higher inflation, internal high inflation that abroad, you have to flexibilize. You have to allow the exchange rate to be flexible, to adjust to that differential of, of, of inflation, because otherwise your currency become overvalued and the competitiveness of your local uh, tradable sector, you know, suffer, suffer a lot. And uh, one, one question that comes to mind, I've, I've always uh, wondered, as you know, the capital markets in, in the local uh, economy in Venezuela, they haven't developed, say, in terms of what you're talking about, hedging options. Uh, I believe that there was a, an attempt in terms of options quite a long time, but it, it never, in my view, materialized. So do you think that it, that capital markets, given the right conditions, will ever be able to flourish and become stronger so that they can offer the public uh a uh, sophisticated products where they can actually um, say hedge and, and do all these sophisticated uh, transactions that uh, haven't uh, been able to be offered uh, in, in the local market? Yeah, I think, I think that that's, uh, that's part of the, of the, of the future uh, of this economy when, when a real effort in order to solve all this disarray that we are going through at this moment, uh, we have, uh, you know, when, when, you, when you rationalize the economic activity, when you, 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 you are serious in creating the proper environment for investments to take place, if you are really serious in re-implementing the rule of law, in creating the proper environment for those investors to, to, to feel you know, secure and to feel protected by the by law and by the judicial system about uh, their rights and so on. Well, you know, you one of the of the natural conditions or the natural, uh, let's say, uh, activities to develop is as a sophisticated financial market, and a capital market becomes uh, true. Uh, one of the things is that. You have to have, you know, freedom of 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 of, of exchange. You have to have, uh, you know, free convertibility, uh, and uh, and that means that with free convertibility, with a proper environment for for investors, if you want to attract investors, you have to give them the let's say at least the the impression that they will be able to send uh, abroad, you know, their their the dividends uh, or the, the capital movements that they will be free of, of, of moving. And for that, you have to have, you know, a, a, a regular uh, financial capital market and you have to have the proper, uh, let's say, uh, guarantees that those things are going to be in place. That doesn't mean that you have to guarantee the exchange rate. No, no, you don't have to have the, uh, you know, the, the exchange Extend risk are there, uh, and, and nobody nobody can assure you about the the, the fixed exchange rate, uh, but they they can assure you that you will be free uh, to move or to to convert to, to have a, to have access to your own capital or to send your dividends abroad and so on. That that is absolutely critical in order to really to materialize uh, 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 
a real uh, attractiveness for, for investors. Sure. And, and another point that you make in your book, which makes total sense, and it's something that's very basic, but um, I, a lot of countries, I guess, they, they want to compensate the fact that um, you folk, you, you know, the, the lack of international monetary reserves. If you have strong monetary reserves, like you, I quote, abundant availability of international reserves, then you, you by itself, you, the trust is, is raised, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, because international reserves, international reserves are the savings of, an, of a nation. Uh, and it, as in the case of a saving of a family, why do you why do you save in your family? Well, a family save in order to to, to be sure that in in, in any negative uh, environment, uh, you know, business are not doing very well, you lose your job, uh, whatever, you know, you will have enough resources in order to keep at least your living standards or the living standards of your children. Uh, unaffected. Uh, that, that's one of the main reasons of savings. Uh, if uh, one of the members of the family gets sick and, and needs uh, some some help, uh, healthy healthy help, uh, which is expensive, well, you will have enough resources in order to cover that. That's the main reason why a family save. Well, a country save uh, through high international reserves in order to to cover or to, 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 to protect against negative shocks, external shocks that could be, be, be developed by the reduction of uh, export prices or by increase of import prices or uh, international crisis that uh, make uh, investors nervous and, uh, you know, they, they want to send their, their savings abroad and uh, whatever. And... Uh, and that is particularly important in countries uh, so dependent on, 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 on export activities like Venezuela. Uh, up to now, Venezuela is, is an oil-dependent economy. And being the case that uh, oil prices are so, so volatile, uh, well, the vulnerability of this economy is very high. And that's why Venezuela should have, for years, for decades, uh, you know, the, 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 the advice was international reserves in Venezuela should be very high, artificially high, in order to in a, have enough resources to cover, you know, negative external factors that could develop one day or the other. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very, very valid point. And, uh, well, I, we have come to an end, and I want to then again reiterate uh, and um, let our listeners know about this uh, book that I am enjoying so much. It's called Foreign Exchange Policy in Venezuela by Dr. Palma. And Dr. Palma, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. I know that you're extremely busy and we appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to all our listeners today. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.